What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Fitness Stuff for Normal People podcast. I'm Mariana, back here this week with Tony. Very excited about it. It is no secret the fitness industry sucks, period. Whether it's the corrupt multi-billion dollar supplement and weight loss industry or the endless supply of influencers promoting anything to drive page views or put a dollar in your pockets. The bottom line is we're not trying to provide just another fitness podcast, but actually change the fitness industry for the better. By providing you with the knowledge and tools to give you confidence in applying the best possible training, nutrition, supplementation, and habits into your own life. Where today we're doing a little something different. We're doing a round robin style episode. Now, round robin, we were talking about this before. This isn't what round robin means is what we figured out. We just thought it was a fun name. <laughs> we just thought it was like a fun sounding name. We're gonna be taking topics that don't need the level of detail that would require an entire episode. Topics you guys still are dying to know the answer to. So we're gonna hit on a few different topics within a whole episode, so I'm excited. Today, specifically, we are going to talk about how to build the most effective warm-up and mobility routine to improve performance and prevent injury, how and when to implement a mini cut compared to a normal drawn-out cut, everything you need to know about L-glutamine, and Diving into the Ollie probiotic and poppy prebiotic drink trend. Lose seven pounds in seven days. You may be familiar with it. As always, if you haven't already, leave us a nice five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And you can also follow us on Spotify. We actually get that data now so we can see how many followers we have. And it's just a great, easy way to support us and allow us to reach as many people as possible. I love the Thank new you. follower already feature. Done it. Yeah, me too. I think that's cool that we can see that. After I learned about it, I started following like all the podcasts that I love and listen to. Me too. I freaking love it because it pops up Because I didn't really realize like, yeah. So that will also allow you to get notified anytime we post a new episode. So you'll stay up to date on all of those. And so if you, you really like the research aspect that we bring into each episode, make sure you join us on our premium membership in the Fitness Stuff Research Review, where we dive even deeper into specific studies, addressing individual nuances, showing you how to apply each aspect into your own specific lifestyle while teaching you more about how to read and interpret research. It's just $5 for the first month and it's $10 a month after that. And a quick word from our two sponsors. Number one, rocking with us since the day one, Legion Athletics. I know I use them literally every day and they've got some cool stuff cooking in the kitchen right now. I think next month they're dropping their own isolated magnesium and vitamin D and K supplement, which they're usually like more of a sports supplement brand. They don't do individual ingredients. That's more for like Thorn or Pure or Now. And they're breaking into that space, which I am pumped to see what Mike Matthews comes up with. I know I just took their their pre-workout. I don't know if we've talked about the pre-little trick that we do. So if you don't like a super high stim pre-workout and you don't like the no stim pre-workout because you need a little kick. I know I do because I work out in the freaking butt crack of dawn. I'll take a half serving of their stim and a half serving of their stim free. So you get a nice, I think it's 175 milligrams of caffeine instead of having to push like three or 400. So you just feel burnt out all the time, but you still get the clinical dose of all the actual pump focus and strength ingredients. Love their pre-workout. Anywho, with Legion, as always, and since the beginning, you get 20% off your first order or double your points after that, just using the code FSPOD, FSPOD. We'll leave that link in the show notes down below. Another thing we don't shut up about is their whey protein, which is a perfect segue into sponsor number two from the strong inside. Now, if there's one thing y'all know, if you've listened to this for more than a week, we don't shut up about it's protein. And that's usually just because whatever your goal is, whether it's to lose fat and lean out, to build muscle and get stronger, or even just live a higher quality, longer life, protein is usually at the center of what you need to be focusing on. Yeah. And I think we get asked 
often, which protein should I choose? What's the best type of protein? And there's so many different types of proteins. We all have our personal preferences about taste, quantity, but we're partnering with The Strong Inside, which is an educational resource. They're not trying to sell you anything. They're just trying to help you learn more about proteins from milk, specifically whey protein. So Tony and I found we really aligned with that because we already talk about this so much. And if you didn't already know, whey protein is a protein derived from milk and tested as the highest quality form of protein. That's because it's complete protein, meaning it contains all nine essential amino acids and is absorbed more quickly than other types of proteins. It's found not just in your basic whey protein powder, but also added to protein bars and shakes. Just look for whey, whey protein concentrate, or whey protein isolate on labels, all which deliver a high protein content. Yeah. Especially if you're looking to increase your protein intake, which I think a lot of people find themselves trying to do, usually those supplements and foods and everything made with whey is going to have a great macro profile that's higher in protein, lower in fats and carbs to better hit a calorie goal. And today more and more people are looking at the science, thank gosh, on our end and taking a more evidence-based approach at finding the best protein. And the strong inside is just on a mission to educate about the benefits that complete proteins from milk provide. The next question after you figure out, okay, what type of protein do I need is really just how much do I need? And that's where the strong inside is coming in clutch where they've actually got a personalized protein calculator on their site that takes into account your body weight, your fitness level, your goal, your life stage, everything that goes into calculating what your individual protein number should be. Instead of just listening to the bland one gram per pound of body weight advice that you see on social media, that does not fit hardly anybody to a more exact Number. So you can find that at thestronginside.com or down in the show notes below. We will hit that link. Now let's go ahead and get started. Now, round robin, uh, not what round robin actually means, but we got four topics and I'm pumped to do this because we get asked all the time in DMs, in the comments for really just to do episodes on topics like this, but it's like they, we just haven't been able to because we couldn't fill a 45 to an hour and 15 segment diving deep into the science of things like this, but they still take a more long-winded, long-form answer than just a quick you know, text or message back or response mm. on Instagram. So I'm actually yeah. pumped to try this. And if it gets good feedback, if you guys like it, we'll probably open it up to do this maybe even monthly, bi-monthly, whatever we see fit to help you all we out. We can set and up we, a poll on Spotify yeah, to I was see say, if we want us do to do something like this again. Polls and recommendations too of like what topics you guys think we'd love to, to dive into. So today we're going to go back and forth. We got four that we're going in and I'm going to lead with this one because it's something that I've given soft answers to before publicly, but we haven't actually broken down the why behind it. And that's how to build the most effective and science-based warm-up and mobility routine. Because if you're doing a warm-up correctly, it's doing two things. It's reducing your risk of injury, which is massive over time. And it's going to improve your strength and performance during the actual workout, which I don't think people realize they're like, well, what's an extra, you know, added, and these are arbitrary numbers, but an added five or 10% jump in strength or performance. I'm not saying that's what it is because it's harder to measure like that. But if you compound that over every workout through the entire week, through the entire month, through the entire year, same kind of thing goes when like supplementing with creatine it improves your strength and performance by a small percentage, which in the moment doesn't make a ton of sense. But if you spread that over time, you can make more gains, bruh. So that's why we're talking about this. And I think, I don't know about you, but I think this is what I noticed going through and coaching and working with so many people is I feel like a lot of people are inconsistent with warmups because they don't have a confident why in why they're really doing it or if what they're doing is worth it. You know, like that's what I used to do is just, I'll spend a couple minutes on the bike and maybe I'll jump on the foam roller. I don't really know what I should be doing or how much time. So I would do it for two or three days and then I'd just be busy and stop. Have yeah. you noticed that too? 
with a lot of people just inconsistent with it. Yeah. And I, cause I also feel like so many people too, time is just hard to find at the gym. And for some people, all they have is the time to get their workout in. Mm-hmm. And, but also you'll see a lot of people that have an hour and a half workout programmed <laughs> of just yeah. lifting the whole time. So you are actually more strategic and a little bit smarter about the duration of your lifting session, you can absolutely fit in some mobility in there. And it's also just something you're not going to see immediate results from humans thrive off of instant gratification. I think that's part of it is that hundred percent. They also suck. I personally think it's not fun, but it's just one of those things you do because it's going to make you better. And yeah. And I think once we actually dig down like why and how you'd want to implement specific pieces to a warm up, it would actually motivate more people to do them because there's a few reasons. And this is something I wanted to dig into more just anecdotally speaking, because I notice as I've gone and transferred into more of a strength training routine with strength and hypertrophy instead of just the bro lifting from years ago, if I don't stay consistent with a warm up and I'm progressing my bench, my squat over the course of maybe not day to day, but week to week or month to month, my shoulder injuries flare up, my back injury pops up, my knees start to hurt a little bit more. And all those things cause me to take away intensity from the actual workout that bothers it. And those always pop up if I don't stay. So that's where I've stayed consistent for the last several months on just knocking that out. And not only just anecdotally, but there's several pieces of research that actually look into this. And we're going to do a longer drawn out of like, if you really got 10 to 15 minutes to dedicate to a warm up, what you could do, but then we're going to be able to shorten that for those of you guys who like Mariana, you just said, some people only have 30, 45 minutes in the gym spending 10 to 15 minutes of a warm-up, it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't really make mm. sense. And the funniest piece of this to me when I was pulling up the research, right, and a, a couple pieces out of Australia, the first one is a systematic review, actually showed the number one part of a warm-up routine that has been shown to perform, enhance performance and reduce injury over time. It's not the fancy mobility drills that you see people doing online. It was physically warming up your core body temperature. That's it. Just warming up your core. I mean, funny because that's the name of it, a warm up, but just actually warming up your core body temperature led to improved performance, led to less injuries over time compared to groups that did other warm ups that did not implement some sort of either short cardio or sauna session beforehand. And the cooler part about this is like, why does that actually make a difference is because one of those specific studies from the systematic review looked at why increasing your core body temperature actually helped. And it actually does a few things other than just get your blood flowing. It increased muscle metabolism with faster ATP turnover and better creatine utilization, right? So better creatine utilization, you're able to perform better from strength there. It also increased exercise power production. And there's also a psychological side part of it that this study dove into where it essentially sets the tone for your workout, which I think especially makes sense for people who train after work in the day is when you have that pause, instead of just jumping from the, your work to the car, to the gym, it's a little pause for a few minutes where you're getting your mind, right? What am I about to do? What am I here for? Oh yeah. It's workout time. Instead of trying to shift mentalities from either. I just rolled out of bed. I just got off of work. It's that psychological aspect that this paper actually dove into. And they said, this actually does attribute to improve performance, which I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. So it's actually making physiological changes. In your warm ups. And I'm like, do you, let me ask you this first. Do you, when you do warm up, what do you typically do, if anything? 
I would say just I will do like an incline walk or go on the Stairmaster. I mostly will just get my core body temp up and then mobility I'm not the best with. I always do – I do mobility like at least once a week, but I always have to do it. Before I lift, I have to move a little bit because I just go in super stiff. Yeah, especially for big moves like that. And I yeah. actually pulled – this routine I've been doing for the last – couple years it was intermittent for a while but the last several months really consistency i actually pulled from one of our favorites jeff nippard helped introduce me to that on his youtube page but essentially here's how it, it breaks down into three phases right a three-step warm-up phase one is the general warm-up that's something you would do every day and if you had to shorten your warm-up routine it would be just this right you would you can skip phase two and phase three if you want to but phase one is just the general warm-up so heating or warming up your core body temperature and increasing blood flow you could do this mm -hmm. on the stair climber, on an inclined walk, even on those days that you're not feeling as great. You could even just jump in the sauna. We even talked about that on the episode a few weeks ago about the sauna, how much we could improve performance there. So even if your gym has a sauna, it's just warming your body up makes such a big difference. Now, after that is when you move from the general piece to the specific piece, and that's phase two. The specific piece, another three to five minutes, would be taking the active joints that day through a full range of motion. And that's typically separated into like upper body and lower body because anything you're doing upper body usually involves your shoulders and rotator cuffs. The lower body, you would normally focus on your hips, your knees, and your ankles. So you could separate it like that, but it actually takes the active joints that you're going to be using that day through their full range of motion. So foam rolling to increase range of motion, which I know a lot of research is hit and miss, but I typically notice, especially if you do foam rolling correctly, a big increase of range of motion pre to post. And then not just that, but dynamic stretching, not static stretching, which I think static, I don't know if you were in that realm. It got a lot of hate a few years ago. People yeah. were like, it's the worst thing. You're going to get injured. You're going to do this. S dynamic warmups that we're going to talk about here for some examples are shown to increase strength and performance while static stretching is usually linked to either no improvement or suppressing performance. It's usually something better done after, right? And we'll give some examples on yeah. dynamic warmups later. And then phase three is essentially bridging that piece into your first working set of the day. And it's more done and helpful that phase three, if you're starting with a compound lift, like a deadlift, a squat, a bench press, something like that, that, that takes a big piece out of it. And that is a progressive pyramid into that first exercise. So it goes from phase one, your general warmup, phase two, your specific warmup, and phase three is the progressive pyramid. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about there, the example is just where you take two to three pyramid sets at much lighter weights working up to the weight you plan on using in your first working set of the day for your first exercise. So essentially, if I'm doing bench press and my goal is to do three sets of six at 225 pounds, I would start with just by doing the bar for 10 to 12 reps, then doing 135 for eight to 10 reps, and then 185 for six to eight reps before actually going into my first working set instead of just jumping in cold. And that mm -hmm. progressive pyramid is more to fire up that mind muscle connection, right? Prepping your body for the movement you're about to do. So those three would be in order how I would set up a perfect warmup if you did have the 10 to 15 minutes to dedicate it. And if you're more crunched on time, you would just really stick to phase one. And if I had to phase three, the progressive pyramid up to that first motion, because you are going to be working that, that active joint through the day. Mm -hmm. And I think that covers most of the bases before examples. Does that make sense? Or do you feel any bridges would be needed there or that you would typically change based on your practice? 
No, I used to, oh, I prioritized mobility so much more when I played volleyball because I am the type of person that it's, I'll get really into it and be love it and then I'll stop doing it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But when I have a consistent purpose, like that's like volleyball, my especially shoulder mobi- mobility. I'm like, yes, like this, is gonna, I know this is going to make me better. But since I blew out my shoulder, it's like I have limited range of motion. So I don't, I can't lift heavy upper body. It's just not ever going to be my potential because of all my surgeries. But I feel like from a preventative standpoint, even in terms of injury, this is exactly like how. What was your, what position did you play in volleyball? I was a middle hitter. I was going to peg libero. Mostly just because that's the only position. That's the only position name I know. I'm going to be dead honest. He was going to peg libero. Is that what I'm it's called? cracking up because libero is the shortest person on the team. Oh, I thought that's it was meant I'm for the, okay. Okay. That was totally, that's the only position I know. So yeah. I thought I was going to impress M- you, but middle I, hitter is like, I you're at the, the net, you're tall. I'm six feet tall for people who don't know, but that's the first time I've ever heard that because anytime I tell people I play volleyball, they're like, Oh, like you're probably a middle hitter. Like, so you're yeah. the one hitting other girls in the face. Yeah. And, Breaking but when noses. I'd be in the back row, cause I played back row sometimes because I'm so tall, like everyone would serve to me because they think I can't get low enough, but I did. I could, they I could thought, hold it in the back. They <laughs> thought you couldn't get low. <laughs> low but yeah, I mean, oof, that does. Yeah. It helps. I think it helps with shoulder. sport though, because in most sports you have a dedicated slowed down warm up routine every day. And that's what it is. It just, it's when it throws you out of rhythm or when you speed things up a little bit. And that's what I'll say. Like, if, especially if you're doing compound lifts, I just challenge you for one to two months to stick consistent to some sort of a warm up routine like this and notice how much better you perform over time. Cause that's where I really notice those differences. And I really think so. And I wanted to give some examples for like the dynamic stretches specifically. Cause a lot of people are like, yeah, but like which ones when we're going into it for that more specific phase two part of the warm up. And I really just separated it into like lower and upper exercises and for lower you'd essentially you'd be foam rolling your adductors your glutes and your quads are usually some main ones and you're always going to have additional movements like this depending on your individual areas of opportunity for me for example my knees specifically need a little bit more tlc or else i feel some pain so i spend a little bit more time around things like that so some dynamic stretches and you can just search these on youtube for like some lower dynamic warmups would be like a knees over toe lunge from knees over toes guy, Ben Patrick, love him. The kneeling dynamic hip flexor stretch, adductor front to back stretch, front to back or side to side leg swings, the scorpion stretch for your hips or the dynamic pigeon stretch for your glutes. And then for upper body, you're essentially really just looking at your shoulders, unless you have specific wrist or elbow tightness, then I'd say focus a little bit more there. But you could easily just foam roll out your back, your lats, your shoulders, your traps. And the, the, dam- the dynamic stretches I really love because I I think I went, we were talking to Joe on the podcast when I was going through some shoulder pain. That might have been right afterwards. But shoulders oh, have been okay. one thing that plagued me in progressing in bench for the longest time. And now I bench press three days a week without mm-hmm. pain, which is <laughs> big old Mr. <laughs> Businessman. Essentially, though, I love shoulder dislocations. Sounds scary. It's not. Just look up the YouTube video with either like a I have dislocated my shoulder three times, so I'm cringing right now. It's not that specifically. You're not going to dislocate your shoulder, but shoulder dislocations with either like a band or a like a broomstick, PVC pipe, something like that. Weighted band, weighted or band internal and external rotations, front and back arm circles, steel mace swings. I got really into for a long time. Those I love. 
and even this one's not dynamic, but dead hangs are phenomenal for shoulder mobility as well. So those are just some examples on what you could really piece together and why you'd want to. And I really think warmups, hopefully that answered the questions people had coming in of like, should I do a warmup? If so, what should I even spend my time doing? You could spend three minutes on each of those three minutes at some higher intensity to get some blood flow, three minutes taking your joints through that active range of motion, and then three minutes of just doing several, maybe two to three to four sets, progressively building up to that first movement of the day. And that's it. That's all I'm you need. My shoulder external rotation. Right now? I wish every, if everyone's what, yeah. Do you want to tune in? I, Everyone turn on you. the camera. Yeah. What is it? I, this is pretty normal. Can externally rotate. And then my bad one. So I can't, I That's literally. That's as far back as it goes? Yeah. Cause I was doing PT for so, but that's why I like, I don't bench and I can't do like. Oh my gosh. Ow. Even that like hurts like back. <laughs> I can't do back squats. Yeah. I say anything that really requires you to move your elbow, like anywhere even close to parallel to your. Yeah. It's just shoulder. so tight. I was in PT for years and I still do my shoulder exercises, but like I had the two surgeries to tighten up that area. Cause I completely tore my labrum like in half. So I just, and so many little tiny, ro- like my rotator cuff muscles, just all. So the first they one looked like really you were fist bumping. I know. It like a it's fist really bump. bad. It's we can only like fist bump on our left sad. side, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> only <on> the left <laughs> side fist bump. So that's where we're going to tie up the warm-up piece. And I think we'll jump into next. You want to hit off the Ollie and Poppy trend? I do, yeah. Or L-glutamine. People I'll do are going to love this L-glutamine. Yeah, hit the Ollie and Poppy. Because you actually showed – you introduced this one to me. And yeah. at first, I thought you were lying through your teeth. And I saw how many freak, how much traction this had. Yes. This and we're not insane. talking about – Olipop. Tony gets us confused. It's not the Olipop drink. I'm currently drinking one. Not sponsored, although I love them. Um, I do, yeah, if I say Olipop, just know that I'm an idiot. And that's why. It's not <laughs> Olipop. You you probably have Oli gummies are like vitamin. They have so many different gummies. They have a probiotic. So that's a spe- they have two probiotics, I think. That's specifically what I'm talking about. And then there's a drink, Poppy, which is similar to Olipop. I personally don't think it's as good, but... It's got ne- not nearly as much fiber, right? Yeah. So there's been this trend going around on TikTok, and there's so many videos on it. If you even search like Ollie and Poppy trends, mm-hmm. like it will come up about losing seven pounds in seven days by taking these two together. <gasps> and I made a TikTok video about this, addressing it, because every time I see any sort of video that's like lose X amount of weight and this many days, I get deja vu because it's the Mm. same fucking thing. It is the same shit just recycled with a new product. And it Mm -hmm. pisses me off so much. You saw it with the apple cider vinegar. You saw it with the lemon water, saw it with the greens powder, you saw it with the chia water. Like it is nothing different. It's just a different product to sell you false hope that you're going to lose weight quickly. And it's some easy thing that's just going to change your life. Sorry, it's not that easy. And what really pisses me off about this is that neither of these products are marketed as weight loss products. Poppy actually does a really good job at staying in their lane when it comes to marketing. Ollie Gummies, not the biggest fan of. They have a lot of shitty products, but this probiotic in particular isn't that bad. Like, Mm -hmm. totally could take it. But that's what bothers me is that our society is so like, oh, like, we're over the low carb trends and the stupid Atkins diet and the su- stupid slim fast. That was so crazy and dumb. Why do we ever believe that? 
no, we're just modernizing diet culture and these trends with new, we're honestly just covering it up with gut health. The word like, oh, this is going to heal your gut and make you lose weight. It's like, I was going to say, what's the why behind why people think this specifically works? Like blending a probiotic with a poppy, like prebiotic fiber drink. Like why do they think that does something? It just started it like like anything. It started with one person saying, I lost seven pounds in seven days with this combination. There's no why. Oh, and there's no one not like they try, wonders. A lot of time they try and sell you on like some sort of like mechanism of, well, the fiber is going to no. increase your this gut bacteria, which is going to lead to increased metabolism, which is going to lead to seven pounds. No, in seven it days. just makes you lose. It, it's like the heal your gut and lose weight. So like- it's so actually, ridiculous. this is one of the more idiotic ones. I really can't even yeah. hold back because people aren't even wondering how. No one asks how. It's yeah. just, oh, well, I saw I was, this so worked. That's what shocked me is you were even telling me, like, they didn't, these brands didn't promote this. It's usually, no. the, it's usually someone selling something yeah. that's trying to say, like, hey, look at my product loses X amount in X days. But mm-hmm. this one just had a mind of its own with social media, with trends, with everything there. Yeah. These are just two random products that aren't affiliated. Yep. That some random person just started saying, hey, take these two together and boom, and drop you lose it like what, it's hot, seven right? pounds in seven days. Yeah. And then someone else did it and it just spreads like wildfire. And it capitalizes on the idea. It capitalizes on this issue with weight loss, not equaling fat loss. So people just mm-hmm. automatically assume if you lose weight, yeah, that's the same thing as losing fat. Like anytime you lose weight, mm-hmm. that's going to stay off. It's not going to come back. It couldn't possibly be water weight. Like I'm actually losing these pounds. This isn't, it's not some weird coincidence that I've just dr- randomly dropped seven pounds overnight. Like most people would think, oh, that's a little concerning. Like why did that just happen? Uh, yeah. But nothing, disclaimer, nothing will magically make you lose weight overnight or within a week what? other than being in negative energy balance for a pro- long period of time. Again, it's not going to just happen overnight. There's a difference between temporary water weight loss and actual fat loss. And people often will just ignore that. Our water weight fluctuates so often. Every day. Over the course of a night, over the course of a few hours, you drink water, you will go on the scale and your weight will go up. That is the perfect example of how easy it is for our weight to fluctuate. That's why the scales, people will say like, don't always tr- have the scale being your only metric for fat loss, especially because oh, yeah, sometimes terrible. it's not going to move at all. And sometimes it will go up a little bit. I was doing a test of the fluctuations. And this was just the first three hours of my day where I would wake up, I would use the restroom, I work out, I eat breakfast, I drink stuff. I fluctuated up of like a, a total of 20 pounds in the first three hours. So not 20 pounds, like all in one direction. But I would wake up, yeah. I would lose two or three, then I'd gain two or three, and then I'd gain two or three more post-workout. Then I'd lose a few after mm-hmm. I went to the restroom shower. It fluctuates, not these little numbers either, very frequently through the day. Yeah. 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 And it's also like this trend, not too much surprise, is predominantly all women saying it. And it's also the fact that our weight can fluctuate between five and 10 pounds, depending on the time of our cycle. Yeah, It's just, it's absolutely absurd to me. But the only thing that this combination could potentially do is temporarily promote more frequent bowel movements, mm. i.e. water weight loss. So 
That's the cliff notes. I'm going to tell you why a little bit. My first thought was to go and dive deep into this poppy drink, assuming this is probably really high in insoluble fiber. Mm -hmm. So there's two different types of fiber, soluble, insoluble. Insoluble promotes the movement of food products through your digestive system. It has a more laxative effect, whereas soluble fiber adds bulk to your digestive system. It forms this liquidy gel substance and it slows digestion. Poppy first only has two grams of fiber. That's the equivalent of around half of a medium-sized apple. So not much fiber at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Still something, still something, but it is soluble fiber. So it's not going to have that laxative effect. So instantly I'm just like ruling this out. And again, I'm not talking about Olipop, which is also very popular. Maybe I could talk about that another time because that is a different story. That's got nine grams of fiber, which is- That would be a fun one to talk about because that one I love. Yes. And so I was like, okay, that's not what's happening with this drink. That is just people are drinking it and Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, attaching that it has some magical powers. But the other- piece that could promote more frequent bowel movements is taking certain types of probiotics, especially if you've never taken probiotics before, especially if maybe you don't eat many probiotic-rich foods or eat many plant foods that can promote the growth of probiotics. Certain probiotics can have more of that laxative effect because they help relieve constipation. So in the Ollie it's their pre-probiotic blend. They also just have a normal probiotic, but they both contain bacillus coagulans. And this probiotic in particular actually primarily acts by relieving constipation. And the only, there's a few small human trials that show this. So a lot more data needs to develop in order for me to ever say conclusively that anything yeah. is going to cause something, but it does have the potential to have a laxative effect. And especially in those with IBS. So that's where most of the research is done. Especially mm. if you struggle with constipation, you do have IBS. It may help there. Yeah. So again, it may help you go to the bathroom. Th- that's, that's nothing. It's nothing special. It's nothing special. And I am all for like me being an IBS queen over here. I'm all for finding things that help you go to the bathroom. It makes life a lot better. So I'm not saying I would honestly, if you are a person that struggles with constipation, go and get a bacillus coagulans probiotic and see if it helps because I understand how debilitating that can be. And there is some potential there, but that because you lost a little bit of water weight after actually going to the bathroom more frequently, that tells you nothing that tells you nothing, but it could help. It's just the messaging behind it pisses me off because if someone was like, hey, this actually really helps me go to the bathroom and I read some studies that it might be effective, like not some weight loss. I don't know. Yeah, it actually has some practical use. And I was going to say too, if you are like in helping with that out, I also, I think you agree with me here. I would not buy the Ollie brand just, and the only reason I'm not saying that particular product we know is bad, but we just know how like how poor quality that brand as a whole has been with other vitamins and minerals and claims and they don't get their products third-party tested so i i would just go i mean i wonder if the seed the probiotic that you take does it have that one in it i wonder seed is good yeah and honestly just making sure any brand that is third-party tested like especially financially you need something cheaper if you find one that's third-party tested and you want to try it out because you can afford it, mm-hmm. try it out. Make sure – I think it's like at least 
a billion CFU. And I think mm-hmm. that um, Ollie has like 500 oh, million really? for it to be effective is what most of the research says. Which I know a lot of people hear that and they're like 500 million. What do you mean that's not going to be effective? When we're talking about gut microbiota, that's that's a grain of sand. Yeah, it's, it's a small nothing. amount. <laughs> Compared to uh, the trillions so, in your actual gut. Yeah, there's – it's – and you can even look if you're taking a probiotic now and it's like a woman's probiotic or once daily. I know some of those can be good to just take, especially if you don't get many in your diet. It can't hurt, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing conclusive I could say, but even I take a probiotic. It's yeah. just something that it, it can't hurt and it's a little bit harder to get from your diet. See if they have this bacillus coagulans because it is one of the few that has – some human trials, which are not, you don't see that too often with probiotics. So just yeah. something to look into, but just a few bottom line notes. Neither of these products was marketed for weight loss in the first place. So that should just make you think, Hmm, I wonder how did this Immediate start? Um, <laughs> it may promote more frequent bowel movements. And again, that sometimes can be a bad thing. If you find that you can't get off the toilet, that's not a good thing. That's not comfortable. That's not fun. So keep that in mind. And the only way you may lose a couple pounds is temporary water weight. This trend isn't new. It's just a new product to give people a sense of hope that they can lose weight quickly. So you're telling people just a recycled messaging. Just swipe past it. We like the toilet. We don't love the toilet. No. Keep a healthy relationship (laughs) with the toilet is the brand messaging that we're giving them. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That actually opened me up to the, what the actual conversation was. I can't wait to talk about Ollie Pops on another one. Oh, yeah. Because I started I drinking I those them. on the daily, like over a month and a half ago. And Did I put you on to those? Difference. I think it was you. So it's like actually it annoying because they do taste so good. Like it, it is good. And there's nine crazy. grams of prebiotic fiber. Nine grams. That's why yeah. I'm like, I hate how Poppy even considers himself that because there's two, which is next to nothing. But nine grams is a lot. So I'm excited yeah. to talk about I, it. I don't know how much Poppy markets itself as a... I think it says it on their can from what I remember. Like it says like yeah. that's on their can is prebiotic fiber drink. Yeah. That's like the annoying. It's like two grams. Like, yeah. I personally, I like poppy. I don't like it as much, but it's good. Yeah. And it's, I love a good beverage. But. I'm ride or die with Ollie, even though they won't respond to my Instagram DMs. I'm ride or die with them. <laughs> Screw poppy. Just kidding. <laughs> Try it if you want. Okay. So now we got the two. I think these two are what people want to know about mini cuts. And glue L glutamine. Mm-hmm. L glutamine's freaking. I'm seeing huge. it just it was popular in 2020 and now it's just popular again. It's just the trend cycle. L glutamine or mini guts? L glutamine. Okay. I was I've been seeing it more lately, but I can't wait for you yeah. to break this down. So let's jump into mini cuts, which I think time of year wise, we're coming up to summer. A lot of people have started asking about this more and more. I think it goes through like trends and cycles through the year of a mini cut. So I want to break down what exactly it is compared to a normal cut. And then when you definitely shouldn't do one, when you might want to do one and what that actually look like. Okay. So a mini cut versus like a normal, more drawn out or like a typical contest prep looking cut, right? A mini cut in length is much, 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 much shorter. Typically these mini cuts only last between four and six weeks, maybe eight weeks max. But typically you cap a mini cut at about four to six weeks where a more contest prep or a normal cut can be more drawn out. I think I know contest prep most start at around 24 to 36 weeks out, mm-hmm. which I mean, if we're just doing that math real quick, six versus 36 weeks, it's a sixth of the time 
that you're spending in an actual deficit and cut, which sounds wonderful. And the other big difference is they just vary in intensity. They vary in intensity in what the end goal is when you take a mini cut versus a more normal cut, just because, and the whole thought process behind a mini cut is that you can go much more aggressive since you don't have to maintain it for nearly as long. It's a lot easier to stick and stay consistent, to turn down social activities because you know, oh, hey, I'm only doing this for four weeks, right? I'm only doing this till next month, till mid-May, instead of I'm looking at cutting until the end of summer. That's when the more aggressive weight loss strategies tend to break you down. The other pro of a mini cut versus a more normal drawn out one is you typically don't see muscle loss if you're doing the right pieces where on more extended, longer cuts, especially if you drag them out even longer, that's where you tend to see more and more muscle loss wound up. Just yeah. because if you're going months and months and months eating in a calorie deficit, you're bound to lose at least some muscle, even if you're doing everything perfect in most situations. And I think why mini cuts are more appealing is like you said, like people are just drawn to more like the quote unquote easier thing to do. But I do want to preface this. It's not easier. It's a hell of a lot yeah. shorter. It is nowhere close to as easy or it's nowhere close to easier as a way to, to try that out. Now, why one would want to do a mini cut? And I know this is really popular before vacations, before summer break, before anything like this. And that's when it can be dangerous. So I will dive into that later. But why you would want to do one is essentially to lose as much fat as possible in a short period of time, knowing it won't have to be sustained for too much longer, right? That more aggressive deficit you can get away with without losing muscle, without having to drag out the hunger, the energy, the fatigue problems that come with dieting because you're only doing them for several weeks. And when you would want to typically do one, because I think almost anyone just thinks, yeah, I'll jump on a mini cut without thinking about it. Usually the only practical application for when this makes more sense than a longer cut is when you are taking almost a break from a building or bulking phase to offset any body fat gain. So what I typically see this is when, and this is just the facts of life, right? Is you typically always at once in your career, especially if your career lifting career, but we'll just say like when you're really getting into working out, if you're training for a physique style goal, which you and I are pretty clear on, there's a heck ton more goals to have outside of just the way you mm -hmm. look. Um, but if you're building and you're bulking, a mini cut would make sense when you already have a significant amount of muscle mass on you one. And then two, you typically would want to start that building or bulking phase when you're at a relatively low body fat percentage to start with. So as you're building muscle, just like anything, you're going to build a little bit of fat with that. You're going to store a little extra fat. So let's say, and this is just some example with some numbers, and I'll give men body fat percent numbers. Females are usually eight to 10% higher, but let's say for a guy. You guys are annoying. We're so annoying. We're the worst. <laughs> let's say you start a build at 10% body fat, right? Great place to start a building or bulking phase. You would build, you would build, you'd build. And we know building muscle takes a lot longer than losing fat, but you'd build and build and build until let's say you got to like 13, 14%. A mini cut would be perfect there. So you could potentially offset and lose one to 3% body fat in a quick period of time and then continue building and bulking again. Instead of if you really, I mean, if you want to build significant muscle mass, you're probably looking at going through 12 to 24 months of dedicating to just building. If you want real significant muscle mass, and if you do that all at once, you're going to gain a significant amount of body fat with that. And that's, there's just no real way around it. So essentially when a mini cut is the most useful 
is at keeping your body fat percentages lower as you continue to build muscle without having to go through the vicious six month cut, six month bulk, six month cut while you're just kind of like staying in limbo in the middle, just fluctuating body fat percentage because you gain and then lose muscle and then you gain body mm -hmm. fat, and lose body fat. It just kind of stinks when you get stuck in there. Now, here's when you definitely would not want to do it because I think a lot of people hear this kind of like they hear, oh, do you remember what was it? Our reverse dieting episode we did a while back. Everyone hears reverse diet and they're like, I need that. And it's like, mm, very few people actually need that, right? This is not a good idea when you have a significant amount of body fat to lose, in my opinion, Yeah. right? Like if you are a guy with over like 15 to 18% body fat or for females, like over 28 to 30% body fat, if you've got a good percentage of body fat to lose, like five to 10%, you can't lose that much in a mini cut. Right. And it typically is going to take a lot longer to get you to that point you want to be at. That's one scenario where I don't think it'd be used. Another one is when life gets busy. This is one thing that I don't think most people underestimate. I actually just had a client that went through this where it's almost summer, great time to mini cut. We actually were in a great place to do so, but they underestimated how busy their life was going to get just because summer and spring months. I mean, that's when usually more social situations happen spring break, vacations happen, life just gets busier. And I don't think people estimate it. We're going to give specific protocols, like what a mini cut would look like from like a nutrition standpoint, from a training standpoint. It's much more aggressive. That's the whole point of it. Meaning you have a lot less balance with your life, which we do not recommend hardly ever. Because if you don't have balance with your life, it's not going to last long term, most of the time. That's why you're only doing this for like four to six weeks. Right. So if you're having more social situations, if you're going out, you just have so much less flexibility with your diet and your energy and fatigue is going to be low that it's very hard to actually stick to a mini cut instead of just trying and failing and wasting four to six weeks is what I see most of the time. Yeah. Right. And the last piece there, too, and question to ask yourself is I see a lot of people jump into these mini cuts and they go aggressive as heck. And then what do you see right afterwards is a rebound effect a yo-yo effect. And this is typically what you see with yo-yo dieting. You restrict, you restrict, you restrict. And then once you have that little ounce of freedom, the leash loosens a little bit, you don't return back up to your maintenance like you normally should. And that's what we'll talk about in protocols. You just say, I'm going to take a few weeks to do whatever I want. You go drinking, you go eating out, you do this, and you end up regaining as much fat as you lost. And it just turns into essentially just a yo-yo diet at that point, if you're not going into it prepared. And that's what you want to really avoid. Mm -hmm. Have you ever gone through a mini cut? With a client, I know it's, I don't go through it frequently. I think I only have two yeah, that I'm working on it with really currently. Have people where it would be necessary. Yeah. It's not something that everyone should do mm -mm. as you go through it. Now, when we talk about more aggressive, I wanted to lay out exactly what that would look like. And I do want to preface this, and I think we do a pretty good job as far as this. Everyone's different in your protocols. So this, just these numbers that we're going to go out, these whatevers, this doesn't apply to everyone, but it's a good starting or average place to then ask yourself where to go deeper. So normally during a cut, like a more extended cut, your aim for most people, especially if you want to lose a significant amount of body weight is to lose about 0.5% all the way up to maybe 1% of your body weight per week, right? So if you are 200 pounds and you want to get down to 150 pounds, you'd be aiming at one to two pounds of body weight a week in most cases. And that's not saying you need to, because you're going to have weight fluctuations up and down and all over, but on average about one to two a week where a mini cut instead of 0.5 to 1%, it 
you're aiming to lose one to 1.25% of your body weight per week, or maybe even up to 1.5, depending on where you're starting from. Now, in this scenario, expectation minus changes, this is where I think most people mix things up. And this is not, this is, I think maybe the only time I've recommended this. You would typically consider in this mini cut, what I've seen be more successful is not increasing your weight training, but potentially decreasing it. Because when you go into a more aggressive deficit, you have less energy, more fatigue, and especially less energy in the gym. That's what people notice on cuts. You're going to notice that even to a higher extent here. And one thing you got to be careful of is we're not saying get rid of weight training here, because that's the one thing that's going to help keep your muscle mass as you lose this body fat, right? But saying subtracting volume, like if you normally do four sets of each exercise, bringing that back down to three, or maybe shortening your workouts. Or if you're doing more than five workouts per week, bring it down to four, right? Just because you're going to build up more fatigue. And you got to remember too, if you're not feeding yourself, you're not giving your body what it needs to recover optimally either. So not only are you having less fatigue in these workouts, but you're also not recovering properly from them, which can add up over time. So either maintain weight training or even potentially think about it. It's not a bad thing if you dial it back a little bit, right? The easiest way then when we look at cardio is same thing. You don't want to be doing massive high intensity interval sessions because those require a lot more recovery afterwards. The typically the lowest hanging fruit that Mariana and I don't shut up about. This is another one. We talk about protein a lot. What else do we talk about? Step count. We talk yeah. about our step count. Look at increasing your step count first before looking at other methods of cardio. We're even just increasing from where you're at that we don't need a magical 10,000 step number, right? But increasing from where you're at, let's say you're at seven, increase two to 3,000. If you're at 10, if you're at five, wherever, increase by two to 3,000 a day. That's 21,000 steps per week. That's an average of about a thousand extra calories that you're burning every single week. So that's the lowest hanging fruit. You're not gonna increase your hunger and it doesn't need any recovery from. And your calorie deficit, this is where I would recommend listening to that calorie deficit episode we did a while ago. Was it on a cut or just calorie deficit? What do we talk about that? This is- how to cut and bulk. We did a how to bulk and how to cut, I think. Right. Oh, okay. So it was in, that was a while ago, wasn't it? It was a while ago. Yeah. Throw freaking back. But where that's where a more drawn out one, you'd want something more sustainable. So anywhere from like a 10 to 15 up to maybe a 25% calorie deficit, where in a more aggressive mini cut for four weeks, you'd be looking at upwards of 25 to 30% of a calorie deficit. And again, this is, I'm not recommending this to a lot of people because it is hard to do hard to do but 25 to 30 percent for those four to six weeks while keeping your protein high just to keep muscle loss at bay and to keep your fullness and recovery as high as you can as well as keeping just your fiber high from a fullness and the one piece that you wanted to really double down on is just returning back to maintenance afterwards this is not a yo-yo dieting technique this is not a lose fat quick technique this is not if you are if you're struggling and you just need to have a win and lose some weight real quick because you've been struggling. If you've been struggling losing weight, do not do this. Don't even think about it. Yeah. Right. But that's where a mini cut <laughs> differs from a more extended cut. And why I thought it was, it was big is I've been asked this a lot on my Q and A's that I do on Fridays. I've been asked a lot about mini cuts. I think it's more just the time of season that it's at, yeah. right? We're coming up to summer, spring break, pool time's coming out. <laughs> Everywhere except for Southern California, it's been cloudy and freaking rainy for three months. See, I personally am more active when it's warmer out. I mean, especially if you're a person like me who has pretty tough winters with a lot of snow, Tony can't understand. What's that? 
I'm just more active during the summer, but I don't want to feel like, oh, summer's coming around. I'm going to get my shit together. I want to find things that I can maintain throughout the year. Mm -hmm. So like I've personally like never had interest in it, but I also get it. Like I I do get it, but I think that, yeah, you really got to think about what you still can prioritize long term. So if you are a person that you feel like this just is not like, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you if it's something that doesn't align with what you think you could do. Exactly. Um, but a lot of people do want to know about it. Yeah. Because I think I've only done one in my life. It was earlier on in probably a few years after I started lifting, but like in my early 20s. And I was actually, I think it actually might have been towards the start of COVID as well, just when I was like, there's no social events to get in the way. But uh, something yeah, I was like, feel. I need something to do, something that gives me some type of feeling, even if it's pain. Feel something. Exactly. But yeah, and ultimately, like, that's where I stand and you stand, I think is like, I mean, realistically, like, do you want to stay in a spot where you're needing to go so aggressive to like feel a certain type of way for summer, or feel a certain type of way? It's like, you ultimately might want to think about, okay, why are you doing what you're doing? And stay at like a place like Mariana said, a good little place in the middle maintenance where you don't need to make aggressive changes, if you don't want to, right? But this is just a good place if you are someone who, who does chase the more aesthetic type goals, which again, if your why is correct and your why is behind it, hell yeah, do it to it. But make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. I think that's Mm -hmm. a big one. Now, I almost wanted to cut that one short a couple of times because I really want to know about L-glutamine because this It's honestly not as exciting as people make it out to be, which is like really, I mean, are we surprised? Not that surprised, but it's, this is a supplement and some, a trend that people talk about where you manip- manipulate the mechanism of the role oh, okay. that this plays in your body. Tony and I have talked about this a lot. You take the fundamental role of something within your body and attach supplementing with it and think that that's going to enhance its role or make it um. do more of what it's already doing. Mm-hmm. And this happens all the time. And I really think that people don't understand that people understand, but can't wrap their heads around how crazy nutrients, macro micronutrients are within our body and the roles that they play. I feel like people don't really think about that, which why would you, you're not like me and you're just some freak who decided to (laughs) go into debt and study (laughs) micronutrients at school. But I guess it's just, there is a fundamental role that they play in our body and are, are so important, but people kind of ignore that and don't assume that these things are already doing that if we have enough of them. That's why diet is so important. It, these nutrients play a role in so many functions in our body, but just Mm -hmm. because you supplement with it doesn't mean it's going to have an enhanced effect. What was the one that we were just talking about that that was it l-carnitine oh my god we that's also yeah another one right super mm-hmm. important for burning fat but just because you take l-carnitine as a supplement it does absolutely nothing to increase how much fat yeah. you're burning so yeah. is unless that if what you're, you're deficient kind of... like if you're deficient yes. in anything and you supplement with it start adding it into your diet yeah you're gonna notice a difference so let's talk about glutamine. what it is okay. so it's amino acid and it's found in protein rich foods like tofu meat beans so plant-based and animal-based proteins. So if you're eating sufficient protein, done. Like don't even have to worry about it. You're getting enough L-glutamine. Most people 
The majority of people get enough through diet, unless if your body is under significant stress, like during periods of illness or injury. This can specifically happen to people who have like Crohn's disease, so like a chronic disease, but it can also happen during times of trauma. So a traumatic injury or you have the flu for a really short period of time, you may temporarily be deficient in L-glutamine. But where supplementation is typically the most needed with it is Mm. if you do have more of a chronic illness or an injury that makes it difficult to eat, digest food. So- It does play an important role in intestinal cell growth, repair, and maintenance. So yeah, its main role lies within your GI tract, your digestive system. That's that's where most of it's kept in the body, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And what I was just talking about is in terms of when you may need it to supplement with and maybe you don't is that has a term. It's called conditionally essential. So we have Mm. essential and non-essential nutrients. So conditionally essential means that it is needed during traumatic traumatic conditions, like the ones Mm. I was just mentioning. So essential means you must get it through like supplementation or your diet. You can't Mm. make it on your own. We also make glutamine in our bodies Mm. and we get it from the diet. That's why it's conditionally essential. When you have these traumatic conditions take place, your body does not effectively produce L-glutamine. So that's where you may become deficient. So that is what conditionally essential means. (sighs) So what it does if you do supplement with it, it may improve IBS symptoms. Only This is only found when it's alongside a low FODMAP diet. If you don't know what a low FODMAP diet is, this is something that deserves a whole episode, so I'm not even really going to get into it, but it is a temporary elimination diet that a lot of people with IBS or SIBO will go on with the instruction of a registered dietitian. But it is not seen when it's not alongside a low FODMAP diet in IBS individuals. So it's kind of like, well, is it really that helpful? You can't say. Because there haven't been studies just isolating each on their own. This study did, it showed that people who only took L-glutamine didn't see any benefit. But the, those who did take it alongside a low FODMAP oh, diet did see a benefit. So, yeah, I'm not sure. You can't really say much there. I need more research. But glutamine supports your gut microbiome, your gut wall integrity, and mediates the inflammatory response as well. So that's what people, that's its function. So when you have a sufficient amount, like I said, the majority of people will, that's what it's doing in your body right now. That's the role it's playing. Supplementation, again, research is really, really limited here. So two-week supplementation with L-glutamine, this was found in one study, it reduced the ratio of certain gut microbes related to obesity. So this was in obese and overweight individuals. As far as gut health goes, not enough evidence. Um, When I say reduce the ratio of certain gut microbes, it reduced the ratio of your bad gut microbes to good. What that really means for any general population, not much. The research is so, so, so limited. There is plenty of research done on those who 
are undergoing these traumatic events, have chronic illnesses, diseases, that's well known that it's going to be effective to supplement with it because you don't have enough of it. Other than that, additional supplementation when you're not already deficient, can't say anything. So, so very little research in humans. It's usually, this is what's blown up about, it's mostly for bloating is what I see trending social for, right? Is, oh my God, you bloat, you have to supplement with L-glutamine. So I'm guessing those secondary claims, like the small changes made in gut microbiome are probably what they're drawing these conclusions from. Yeah. Yeah. And because it's like the, and I mean, if you are a person that a lot of people may have IBS or a small intestine bacterial overgrowth, that is what SIBO is, and not know it. Maybe they haven't found the right practitioner to actually diagnose. It's a very complicated functional GI disorder. And maybe you have that and you don't know. And you this is not to discredit chronic bloating and pain from bloating. Maybe you have one of those and that is considered a traumatic condition. And you do supplement with L-glutamine alongside. It's not going to be the only thing. It could be one potential factor for that specific population of people, but it's not going to be as important as diet. It's not going to be as important as getting down to the root cause of why you're struggling with this bloating in the first place. It's not as important as managing your stress. There are so many other things that play a role in your overall gut health. I've said this so many freaking times, but one supplement is not going to resolve your bloating, especially if it is chronic. It may be a small piece that helps a little bit, it's so complex and it infuriates me how people simplify the shit out of our gut when every single person's microbiome is different. That, that was the, the trigger word for females we decided on, right? For men, it was say something, boost testosterone, boom, you're sold. <laughs> for females, it was reduce bloating, right? Yeah, reduce bloating. Is that what we were talking about? Improve your reduce gut. Bloating. Heal your it's gut. Like, Heal your, your gut. gut. Reduce bloating. I'll buy mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. Okay. So just to get this straight, right? So L-glutamine that everyone's doing for bloating, for gut health, for anything you already have a lot of it in your gut without taking a supplement. You, me, everybody has a lot of it in their gut. And the only time that you typically would supplement with it is to help fix things if for whatever reason, levels were lower than they should be. But you typically only see that in injury, surgery, infections, or extreme cases, which even if we're talking about like IBS, I know it's more common, but -hmm. it's still not very common, right? Is it like one out of like, like maybe 10%? Yeah. And I mean, IBS is tough because IBS can mean a bunch of, it's more so a lay term for a bunch of different symptoms. Yeah. If something was there, but that's, yeah, not everyone from IBS should be jumping on L-glutamine either. So it's very rare that people need this, but I feel like it's just, it's one of those things. I just posted a supplement tier list where I broke down like which ones are worth the money. And I just ranked L-glutamine as not worth the money for most people. And pretty much for those reasons, it's really only, it's useful in very certain scenarios, Yeah, but I feel like it is what every girl is hopping on now there. Anyone who worries about bloating, which a lot of the time, I wish I had a freaking visual for this of my friend. She's a dietitian. Caroline did this where she had a, a, like a grocery bag that was just like standing up straight, right? Like when you hold a grocery bag with nothing in it, there's nothing in it. And she just put like a couple pieces of food in there, like a banana, an apple or whatever. And it like expanded. And it's like, mm. that's your stomach. You're not bloated half the time. It's like, you just ate food and it got bigger, yeah. right? Like that's where it went. <laughs> I think so mm-hmm. many people just think like, oh no, I'm not morning skinny anymore. I'm bloated. It's like, yeah. no, like you just ate food. That's what happens you, after you eat You food. ate food or you're stressed. We have a whole episode on this, the brain gut connection. Yes. Stress, people underestimate that one so much and how much it can affect your 
overall gut health and digestion, your bloating. It's just, and people will ignore that. It's again, it's an easy out. There are so many factors that play a role in your gut health. And we unfortunately live in a society that is of young women who are petrified of being bloated. Mm. That's it at the end of the day. I'll say it. I'll be honest. I was that person, right? No one likes being bloated. Who likes being bloated? It's not the most fun, but like Mm -hmm. bloating is really normal. Maybe just live with it. (laughs) I'm ranting now. Especially with the glutamine conversation, it's just another one where it's like, no one's going to look at like, okay, maybe I should change my diet, my stress, my lifestyle before I should look at a supplement, which that's yeah. most supplements, once you've already addressed the big rocks, your training, your diet, your lifestyle, then look at what supplements you can add in. But if you're adding supplements before you look at those things, you're wasting your time. Yeah. Well, and then also, but a part of it is too, is especially on social media, the people taking these supplements, right, are the ones who already have started to improve their diet or already mm-hmm. eat very healthy foods, exercise a lot. Or they start taking glutamine in addition to exercising, eating a little bit healthier, drinking a little bit more water. It's, you can't look at things in a box. Yeah. That's so many times. Whenever, I feel like whenever a supplement goes viral, that's what it is, is someone who's like training well, eating well, lifestyles well. Then they're like, I also just started taking this supplement and this is what happened. It's like, okay, people are forgetting everything that actually made the change my favorite are the transformation videos or photos and then like in the caption or in the comments it's like don't remember diet's most important (laughs) okay my favorite even there because i ripped apart it was a larger quote-unquote influencer for it was like more of an old school one that was like popular that just was really just showing off like her ass everywhere Mm -hmm. and that's pretty much what the account was but it was literally i stitched the video it was here's my creatine before and after and it was her like sticking her butt out and she had some glute growth And it's like the comment was, and don't forget, you can get the creatine in my link in my bio. It's like, guys, creatine did not grow that girl's ass. I'm like the months of training, eating in a freaking surplus. That's what did it. (laughs) Do you want to know the day I will never forget the day I had the most DMs message requests was the singular, the singular time, the one singular time that I posted on my stories. I was wearing like yoga pants, but I was just in a sports bra so you could see my stomach. The simps never have done it since. I have done it one time since I've had a following. That day, I got over a thousand DMs. I wish I, I think I still have the screenshot of it asking for oh my, my workout routine and my diet. No one, that was the most I like, I don't, will never attach my body to anything for a reason. Mm-hmm. Because I, I know what that I know what it does and I know why people do it. But also too, if you want to show it off, pop off. Do you? Don't care. It's just it is upsetting, honestly. And I don't get it's any just crazy. Like how sports bra and leggings. It's just no it's like it's just weird. I think it's really it's really odd. Yeah, but I mean, it, we yeah. I did a lot when I was young. You see a dude shredded. It's like okay, what is he doing? What are his supplements? What is his training? Yeah, routine? it's just what your brain naturally when you're not in this industry kind of jumps onto but it is it's funny when you see on the other end that is actually really funny yeah and so, i'm like oh it's just fake too because it's like i i think it was a big picture before breakfast i'm like well if you saw me after like it's just it's all fake it's all fake whatever you see is probably fake it's all fake eff it we're all gonna <laughs> die anyways just, just say eff it and bail so that was our first round robin that was mm. nice we covered a lot of different stuff which i liked because yeah. i feel like there's a lot that we always want to talk about but we're like we can't talk about warm-ups we can't talk about glutamine yeah. for 
an hour or doing something like that. And I, I mean, if y'all like this, let us know. Like shoot us mm -hmm. a DM. We're actually, I think what we can do it on our Instagram page for the podcast. So if you don't follow fs.pod, go check that out. We'll start putting it on our stories for the little question boxes for recommendations, stuff that you guys want us to dive into that might not be worth a full episode, but things that you guys want us to cover and break down and see what the science and the evidence actually says behind it. We can throw those up or just shoot us a message too so we can keep these on front so we can hopefully keep doing these because I like them as we get them quick and we, we cover a lot of info. So you can all find us down there. And I think that's a pretty little bow on today's episode. So hopefully everyone has a super productive Monday. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.